You know, when people um, think of the New Testament book of Revelation, <clears throat> people both inside the church and outside the church, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of wild images come to their mind because that's what's in the book of Revelation. You know, you have visions of horrible creatures creating havoc. You have people in heaven falling spontaneously to their knees to worship God. You have armies going against other armies, nations conquering nations. You have destructive plagues falling from heaven. You have creatures coming from the sky and creatures coming up from the sea. You have the arrival of the long-feared Antichrist and the beast of Revelation. And then you have the final showdown between the Antichrist and the real Jesus Christ. And of course, more than that, but you, you can see why it might cause people to think, I don't know if I can handle that. It's a difficult writing to comprehend with all the symbolisms and visions and such. I think the statement that I've probably heard more than any other concerning the book of Revelation is this. I've read the end of the book, and we win. And that's a nice thought. I mean, that, that's great. But, you know, in reality, there's so much more in the book of Revelation than the good ending. And when I say so much more, I don't just mean interesting stuff, interesting information. I mean things that can give us tremendous help as Christians in this life right now before the end. Things that can help our Christian lives and be enhanced today. You know, the beginning of the book we were reading last week, and verse 3 at the very beginning uh, says, Blessed are those who take to heart what's written in the book and, and live it out. Basic is what it's saying. Taking to heart the prophecies written in the book. And even in chapter 1, we have this extremely valuable information, this extremely encouraging information. If we hear it, and take it to heart, like verse 3 tells us in chapter 1. And we said last week that this letter, this, this prophecy from the Apostle John was given to him by an angel sent from Christ in order for him to pass it along to these seven churches in Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is now western, the western part of the nation of Turkey. And it was to show these people what to expect or what they could expect, you know, as far as trouble coming and what they could do about it. And the way that the letter begins is very interesting because it isn't really a how-to manual on facing certain types of hardships or persecutions, like what individual steps to take or what to say. But it is the best kind of foundational information on which to build our Christian faith in light of any kind of trouble or hardships that come our way. This will help us in any hardships that we face, this book of Revelation. And last week we saw in chapter 1, in verses 4 and 5, in John's greeting, 
John the Apostle's greeting. He says, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth <clears throat> in John begins you know by talking about you know this this the great gifts that we have just in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, the other side had the Roman emperors, and they had all the earthly power, and they could pressure citizens to do what they wanted them to do, basically. But what John does is he shows us who is on our side. <clears throat> he wants us Christians to understand and even feel in our hearts, not just to read it and know what it says, but to really feel it in our hearts is that when we compare the threats of temporary earthly powers and authorities from earthly rulers, when we compare those threats and their power with the eternal power and majesty and the glory of God, there's no comparison. We do not want to allow anything in this age to get in the way of our being able to reign with Christ for eternity and to come and reign with Christ on this new earth as God remakes the whole earth and the whole universe. And he talks about who's on our side, the eternal Father, the powerful Spirit of God who helps us, informs us, teaches us, encourages us, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness who came down and he witnessed for the Father. He died on the cross because of that. He was the firstborn from the dead who, who opened the pathway to bodily resurrection, and he will be the, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so John says here in verses 7 and 8, after he tells us what we have in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him, those who were against him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, that is the greeting John gives to the churches as he starts this letter, this letter of prophecy, written to encourage these Christians as they're heading towards a time of, of persecution. And the time of persecution we mentioned last week is that they were moving toward Roman emperor worship. It, it was, it was, that was developing in the Roman Empire. And you know... Certain countries do that where they take their leaders and make them the people to worship and that just gives them more power. And they don't want people worshiping other gods or worshiping Christ or anything like that because that divides their power. But now we're going to read about a vision that God gave John 
that totally knocked him to the ground. And he begins by telling us where he was and what he was doing when the vision came to him. So we're going to be in chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11 at the beginning. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance, that's what he's fellowshipping with them in, suffering, the kingdom, and patient endurance, that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was put there to stop his spreading the gospel. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So the Apostle John had been exiled because of his preaching and or teaching of the Word of God, of the testimony of Christ, telling people what Christ did, what his death meant, and what it means that he rose again from the dead. And that wasn't being welcomed by the rulers, so he's being sent away to at least slow down the spread of the gospel because John was, of course, a key witness to all the things that he was saying. And John tells these Christians that he is their brother, their companion in their suffering. He's right with them. In their kingdom, you know, they're with the kingdom of Christ and not anymore with the kingdom of the world. And so he's the fellowshipping with them in that aspect, that he belongs to the kingdom that they belong to. And patient endurance. Those are ours in Jesus. <clears throat> Patient endurance, we call perseverance, is lasting through tough times with our faith intact. Perseverance is one of the most important uh, aspects of the faith. Because Jesus promises that we will go through tough times, that we will suffer. And Paul says you get to the kingdom of God through suffering. And of course, some people suffer a lot more than others. And sometimes there are periods of peace and not so much suffering. We've been through that for a long time in our country. And we've seen other people in other countries being slaughtered because of their faith. But the strong message with the gospel is to persevere through tough times and hang on to Christ. It's refusing to turn away from Jesus or the faith, no matter the pressure. Remaining true to Jesus. And so here's the Apostle John, one of the twelve disciples, one of the inner three, you know, Peter, James, and John, and he is locking arms with these recent converts in the faith. And he's saying, I am one of you. I am right with you. And John says here that it was on the Lord's day, which is the first day of the week, day of the resurrection. He was in the Spirit, and that would be as the Spirit comes upon him to give him this whole letter, this, this book of Revelation. And he's going to guide him and, and 
have him write it and give him the words to say. Actually, when the Spirit, <clears throat> when it works through people to write the scriptures, it uses their own personalities and their own, uh, you know, language and that sort of thing. But the Spirit guided them so it would be the things that God would want them to say. So the source of this prophecy was the Spirit of God Himself, and it's totally trustworthy. And John hears this loud voice like a trumpet. Now, trumpet blasts were used to send out a strong message when there needed to be a very strong message. It's kind of a wake up and everyone listen. It was used to signal warfare, both if people were attacking and if they were heading out. It was used to let uh, everyone know the king is approaching. Everyone kneel down. And it was used to call people to worship certain sacrificial feasts and stuff like that. So John hears this voice that sounds like a trumpet. Now it's kind of hard to imagine that, but I think that the whole idea is it was, you know, it got my attention. It, it was saying, listen to this. So it was a commanding voice. And so he, he wants John to write down what he sees and he sends these this letter to the seven churches there in Asia Minor. Now, as John hears this trumpet-like voice behind him, he turns toward the sound of the voice, and this is what he sees at the first glance. Now, imagine that you're, you're uh, there, as John is, and he's going to turn and look. And it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned... I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. So he turns and he sees seven golden lampstands. Those, those lampstands <coughs> were the stands they would put lamps on of course. And they were oil lamps. Back in Moses' day, God instructed Moses to make a lampstand of pure gold to put into the holy place, you know, in the tabernacle that they would fold up and carry with them through the desert through, as they wandered in the desert. And it was the place where they would go to meet with God. And the lampstand, there were seven branches and then, and then all those were lit. And on down in history, you know, the Jews were known, and Judaism was known for the menorah, which is like what John was talking about. And over the centuries, the lampstand has been interpreted to represent God's presence among his people. The lampstand was, you know, lit up, and that was Israel's light to the nations. In our passage, we're going to see that this lamps, these lampstands are going to represent the seven churches. So there again, it's going to be God's presence among the people. God's light coming to the people. Coming to others through His people. Through the nation of Israel. Through the church. The lampstands. But now... <clears throat> Think of this. 
you know, there's this lampstand, like we're seeing, and John turns towards this voice, and he doesn't just see a lampstand, he sees seven golden lampstands, all lit up. You can imagine that that would be kind of quite a sight, just to turn, and you hear this trumpet voice, and you see all these lampstands lit up. But what about this guy standing in the middle of the lampstands? Why is he there? You know that God is giving John a message through this. And so you can see the lampstands, you can see the light, you can see God's presence. But what about this guy who's in the middle of them? Well, verses 13 through 17, it says, And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet... <laughs> This is messing with me. Okay. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as though dead. <clears throat> quite a vision, quite a sight to take in for John. He talked about his robe. Robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The person among the lampstands is dressed as like an, an exalted, dignified figure, someone very distinguished. Someone very important. Hair on his head, white like wool, white as snow. Eyes were like blazing fire. White hair stood for wisdom, stood for accumulated, you know, intelligence. Being able to make decisions. Uh, indicates dignity. Eyes like blazing fire, pointing to just a... a Divine insight, being able to penetrate to the core and to see what is the most important. Be able to see through people what their motives were. This person can see right through to the heart. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Polished bronze, emphasizing glory and strength. Shining, refined by fire as in a furnace. Voice like the sound of rushing waters. I mean, that's just a powerful sound. Uh, the voice of the Almighty. It's like, you know, uh, a giant waterfall and you hear all that water just smashing against the ground. <clears throat> or a white water cascade. The voice of the Almighty. Seven stars were coming out of his right hand. The right hand is the hand of power and control, and he holds the seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. 
That's the sword of justice, the sword of, you know, judgment. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. <clears throat> the face was like the brilliance, the, the, the heavenly brilliance, the brilliance of glory of the heavens, penetrating power. And again, after seeing all of this, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Obviously, this man that was standing among the, the lamps was a man beyond any ordinary man, was just not another man. And so now, look at verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's the same as Alpha and Omega, right? I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. <clears throat> now, as I'm sure you now know, or maybe did a while back, this is a description of the risen Christ. <laughs> now, Grandpa's getting better, I can see that. He only got halfway up here. He, he, this, is a, this is a picture of the risen Christ. The first and the last. The living one. I was dead and now look. He has now eternal life. The one who holds the keys of death and Hades. That means he's the one who has the authority to determine who ends up dead and in Hades. So this is the living Christ. He has gone through all that you know, God has had him go through to save us from our sins, to give us a chance you know, to come to God, to have our sins forgiven. And look, now he's alive forever. Now... <clears throat> Before we, we read our last verses, I want to show you just a couple of verses from the book of Daniel. And I want you to look at this description. This is Daniel talking. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son, a man, same phrase, son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There's another description of the risen Christ. Now, Jesus is telling the Apostle John to send this information, this prophecy, this description to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And we've been saying that the seven churches are moving toward a time when they will be pushing emperor worship. And they will have to face that, that threat and that, that rule by earthly authorities to worship this earthly person. And Jesus knows there are hard times coming. 
And he doesn't really tell them how they can avoid or escape hard times or any certain tricks to use to get out of it. Instead, he tells them who is on their side and who it is that these enemies of God will actually be fighting against. So, we can't say that we will never go through hard times. In fact, it's more likely we will in some way. I mean, everybody will in some way. And if you had to do by the odds, you would think that being part of the church, we would go through hard times at some point. But we can say that if we hold on to Christ, we will win. And that's, that's the whole thing. That's the whole game. We can face persecution. We can face hard times. We can face people going against us. But the whole answer is to hang on to Christ. And we can say that with one million percent certainty. That's what John's trying to tell them. When he, when he paints a picture of the Father paints a picture of the Spirit and of the Son. He's saying, this is who is on your side. And he's not saying we'll never hit rough times. He's basically saying we will. But we can be sure, absolutely certain, that if we stay with Christ, we will win. No matter what, no matter what happens on the earth. And we can also say with 100% certainty that those who choose not to turn to Christ, they will lose. And they will lose eternally. And we want to live in that eternal kingdom forever. And you know, I saw a man uh, give this illustration. And he was doing it for a youth, ministry, or a youth rally. And he took this long rope. <clears throat> and he laid it out across the stage. We were in an auditorium. And it went across the stage and on down, and like you couldn't even see the end. And he said, and at the very end he had, he had it painted red, the very tip. And he said, this is our life right now. And here's eternity. He goes, and we worry so much about this, and we don't even think about forever. He goes, we need to be thinking about Forever. We need to be making decisions in this life for forever. And forever is being faithful to Christ. It's hanging on to Christ. We want to, be, we want to live in that eternal kingdom. And when we look back when we're in forever, and we look back at that tiny dot, we're going to wonder, wow, why did I ever live for that? So that's what John is trying to tell them. He's trying to tell them what, what they need to do in order to make it to forever. And we want to be on the side of the glorious Father of all eternity, to whom be all praise and glory. We want to be on the side of the powerful sevenfold Spirit of God, who helps us, encourages us, teaches us, enlightens us, comforts us, empowers us. And we want to be on the side of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, <clears throat> who purchased our salvation 
and has paved the way for our bodily resurrection. And so, you know, really what it's all about, it's all about not getting so wound up in something bad that's happening, but continuing to look to who side we're on. We're on Jesus Christ's side. And he had to go through a horrible thing to, to bring us our salvation. But he is in eternal glory. And we're going to be with him if we do what he did. And so now, as we look at our last two verses, we'll start with 18. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. That's who we're following. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. It could be leaders of the churches or messengers that God sends to the churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. <clears throat> so this letter is a letter for us, isn't it? It's a letter for every church and every age. And may God richly bless us as we read through it and we take to heart what is written in it. Because, you know, we are the people of God. The Jews were the people of God in that age. We are the people of God today. And God has won the victory for us. It's already been won. And now we have to remain true to him. That's, that's what our fight is, remain true. None of us know what we will face in the future. But we know our time here is relatively short. And we know that the victory has already been won. We know who the winning team is. And we just have to be faithful to Christ. We need to be faithful witnesses. So we have to remember who is on our side. And we may not get all the accolades down here. We may never reach a place where we're adored by the public. And we may even look like losers in this life. But we know the eternal truth of the eternal God. And we know who is the first and the last. And who will reign for eternity? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this particular book that tells us so much and helps us so much. We pray that you'd give us insight into it so that we could be prepared for what may come up at any time. And we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful witnesses like Jesus no matter what happens, whether we just end in a life of peace or we have trouble. And just to remember to follow you because you have won the victory. And you are there to help us. And you are there waiting for us. And you will welcome us into your kingdom as we remain true to you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.